Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Friday, August the 5th, 2022. It's lunchtime in San Francisco earlier this morning. Had a very fun conversation with first-time novelist Dwyer Murphy. He has a new book out, An Honest Living, which is about anything but honesty uh, or indeed even living. It's a, what he calls a noir love letter to New York City. Actually, that's what Walter Mosley called it, a very distinguished American writer. Um, he writes uh, about how to write about a city. Um and he spent a lot of time, in fact, he, he spent a lot of time walking New York. He says that to write effectively about a city, you need to walk many thousands of miles. It's rather ironic, the, the, the work of art behind um, An Honest Living is a movie about Los Angeles called Chinatown, 1974 American movie directed by Roman Polanski, one of the greatest movies, perhaps, uh, in the Pantheon. And I was curious when I talked to um, Dwyer earlier, uh, asking why he might include a novel, uh, a, a film about Los Angeles uh, in a novel about walking about uh, New York. It's particularly ironic because uh, we are now today talking with Liska Jacobs, the author of The Pink Hotel, a novel about Beverly Hills, a novel about Los Angeles. So it uh, it squares the circle. And Liska, appropriately enough, is joining us from a hotel room in Ithaca, <laughs> New York. Liska, did you spend a lot of time in hotels researching The Pink Hotel? I did, but I spent a lot of time at the Beverly Hills Hotel. I spent one week there, actually. So tell us more about the Beverly Hills Hotel, the real venue of your novel. Mm. It's I, an iconic location. It's been in Los Angeles. I think it was one of the first buildings in Beverly Hills, actually. So it's it's been there. Beverly Hills was built up around it. So it was very much its own locale. Um, it kind of started the how we see Beverly Hills today. It uh, has a lot of Hollywood lore. Um, it's, it's a destination. It's so famous that you can pick it for event staff, have it in like a catalog. So if you're throwing a baby shower in London, you can pick the Beverly Hills Hotel as a theme. Um, and I find that fascinating. So it's a very special place. Liska, is it rather like the Eagles Hotel California? You can check in, <laughs> but you can never check out. <laughs> kind of. It, it's its own world because Los Angeles is a, a dry place it has a lot of beauty in itself but the hotel is surrounded by 12 acres of tropical gardens um so once you once you walk in the rest of the world kind of falls away in a really um sort of fascinating uh pressure cooker in a way i think too because if the outside world beverly hills has been on lockdown before during riots so when that happens i think that hotel becomes even more of a not just a safe place but also removed from what's happening in the city and that is, of course, Liska, why you chose to write about this. Um, oh, yeah. You're not a kind writer. Uh, you spare <laughs> nobody, and I'm sure you'll take that as a compliment. You're a satirical writer, a satirical <laughs> novelist. 
And just as um, uh, just as um, my earlier guest Dwyer Murphy uh, spent his spent his time walking around New York, peering into buildings, you spent your time in uh, in the Beverly Hills Hotel, trying to I guess figure out how. California cuts us off from the rest of the world? Is that one way of thinking about it? Kind of. I, I think also what I really liked about um, the hotel itself is that it's it's sort of emblematic of a bygone world, I think. Um, celebrity has changed so much. Um, and, and a lot of the satirical things in the book are actually inspired from nothing that I witnessed there when I stayed at the hotel, of course, but it was inspired by a lot of research um, that I've did in what wealthy people have done with their money in the past. Um, there's a very wild party at the end of the novel that I won't give anything away, but um, there's wildcats and there's, um, you know, the tropical garden they bring inside of the ballroom, but that was all um, inspired by the Vanderbilt ball or, or masquerade in New York in 1888. So it does, I think, can be classified as satire in some ways, but really, I think we live in such absurd times that if you just listed the things that happened this last week, it sounds like satire. Do you know what I mean? Perhaps a, another word would be surreal. You write about oh, yeah. a hotel that cuts itself off from the world and there are two characters who fall into this world, whereas uh, there's a destruction of paradise upstate. We did a show a couple of years ago with Lizzie Johnson, who wrote a book about one of the worst fires in Californian history at a place called Paradise. How much is your book, um, The Pink Hotel, a satire on California? It's been done, of course, many times before. Joan Dinian written mm -hmm. some wonderful stuff on this mm -hmm. about California as ground zero of the dystopian narrative of America. I mean, I grew up there, so I feel like we we tend to always be on the brink of some disaster, whether it's an earthquake or wildfires, um, even floods. I mean, we, we kind of get everything there. But I think it also lives in the mind, the collective American mind, um, as a place where it's on the precipice, like the very end of the American dream, right? It, it's the Pacific. Um, and so I think the idea of destruction happening there is in some ways cathartic. I feel... A lot of Angelinos, I don't know if it's the same up north, but they they kind of get excited when there's a wildfire in the hills. Of course, we don't want anyone to get hurt, but there's this sense of danger and, I don't know, reckoning almost. It's um, almost cinematic. I mean, can you, Yeah. And, and as you say, you grew up in Los Angeles, you don't live there anymore, you live in Berlin, but yeah. cinematic imagery and cinematic thinking oh, yeah. is unavoidable in Los Angeles, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I grew up in a, a sort of a film family. So cinema has always been um, sort of a place that I write from, but it's, it is part of the culture. Absolutely. When you say a family, what do, what do you mean by that? What do you, what did your parents or what do your parents do? Mostly post-production. My father was a sound editor. So was his father. And then I had a great grandfather who was a screenwriter. And were you part of the Hollywood aristocracy yourself or the middle class? <laughs> no, definitely in the middle class. Post-production is its own little world, I think. They get, they're a lot like writers in a way. They kind of get the shine, but they are always observing, right? I think they're, they're in a place positioned in society where they can be both part of the fabric that's the, I guess, the elite, we'll call them, and then also, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. 
you spare nobody, and I think that's one of the, the great qualities of your writing. Uh, the book is about what the New York Times calls delusional newlyweds heading towards a grand reckoning in this hotel. Aren't all newlyweds, Lisa? I don't know if you're married. Aren't they all delusional? I've been married twice, absolutely. so I know better than most. No, absolutely, and and. I, maybe it's ironic, but I, I dedicated this book to my husband. And it's funny we're talking today because it's our wedding anniversary. <laughs> but, um, How long have you I, been married? We've been married. We've been together for 21 years and we've been together for 16, married 16. Yeah. Did he get so the I, joke? Did he appreciate <laughs> the dedication? He did. He did. But also, you know, I, one of the things that I love about newlyweds and all the different love stories in this book is is that, you know, we are sort of, we should know better at this point in society, but humans still want to believe in love. We still have sort of hope. And I like to write it from a place of uh, maybe it's delusional, but <laughs> but at least that we are fighting for something other than just chaos, right? So what are you fighting for? Some of the, the reviews of the book have been good, but some people have said that you weren't focused enough on a particular crisis. Is there mm. one thing in particular that you want people to come away from the pink hotel worrying about, ready to change the world? Yeah, I, I think my number one um, sort of thought when I was writing the book was I wanted to sort of show how complicit we are, myself included, but also the reader. Um, this was sort of my idea behind the whole kaleidoscopic narrative and including even breaking the, I guess, the fourth wall occasionally. I really wanted, um, because we live in such surreal times, it's easy to be entertained by these absurd headlines that we see. The other day I saw a trending headline that Martha Stewart was trying to pick the right song for the funeral for her peacock or something like that. And I, I just thought, yeah, we can scroll through that. And then there's, you know, the that could have come out of Alicia Jacobs novel. <laughs> Absolutely. And but I, I just feel like it's very easy to be to be to find entertainment in the times we're living in. But um, I, I do believe there's time for action and it might be now. One of the focuses of the book, as any novel about contemporary America, is inequality. How yeah troubling is that and how central is it in your narrative at least in the polemical context oh absolutely i you know i think at the end of the book in my acknowledgments i say get out there and vote or burn it to the ground um and i don't mean that literally of course but i do feel like there needs to be some huge shift in um maybe we all stop paying our student loans or something like that there's just there's there's a tremendous amount of well, what good would that do <laughs> well i'd like to see these you know, students, myself included, we have generations of, of young people, I don't even know if I'm considered young anymore, but that are probably going to die with debt that's kept them from having families, from owning houses, um, from owning, you know, really living the lives that their parents had, had lived before them. And I think that's that's tragic. Perhaps we should loiter and seize these luxury hotels, aren't they? Aren't they? Yeah deeply traveling sort of feudal elements absolutely in, in, a, in a supposedly democratic America, as you say, places where you can quite literally escape the world and reinvent the world in, in any way you want. It's like going into a movie theater, except it's a real mm -hmm. place. And you're giving money over to be a part of that, right? It feels, it's sort of, and a place like the Beverly Hills Hotel, like I said, it's iconic. And so it, it is sort of its own world and you go in there to be a part of that narrative and to check out from the real world. And, and that's always been my fascination with hotels is that the the life that you're living outside of this kind of is put on pause and you can reinvent yourself for a few days or something like that. 
and I guess my question is at what cost at some point at what cost are we um, deluding ourselves I guess from the reality how angry were you when you spent that week at the Beverly Hills Hotel I assume you didn't <laughs> take your husband I mean were you oh, I wandering around thinking who can I <laughs> satirize in my novel which no 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 they, rich they, people <laughs> they were all you know lovely everyone that's sort of my my i think the great tragedy of also you know where i was a place that i was writing from is that yes these are they do awful things the people the characters in these books but they're also all sort of just empty vessels looking for something that's going to make them feel complete um whether that's they're uh, one of the 1% that's staying there or whether they're working there. Um, it's just sort of a, a, a world of misconnections. What tradition do you think of yourself writing in or what worlds are you trying to create? You, 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 I brought up the word surreal. When I'm thinking about your work, The Pink Hotel, if it was made into a movie, maybe it would be a Bunel movie, something quite surreal, mm. something absurd. I would love that. Yeah, that would be fantastic. I would like that or something really rich and opulent, I think. But also, um, I love contrast. I love when you have something like the Beverly Hills Hotel, which is so beautiful and so lush. Um, but the things that are happening inside of it are kind of terrible um, and hard to, to watch. So I think that kind of just juxtaposition is, is something I'm after. What did you think of, um, and everyone will think of, this conversation in the context mm. of the Grand Budapest Hotel, the 2014, uh, Wikipedia calls it a comedy drama directed by Wes Anderson. I thought it was one of his better films, an excellent film, actually. Were, were you cognizant of that in, in terms of the Pink Hotel? Absolutely. I mean, in terms of, I, and, and actually thinking about that, that movie, it is sort of a grand hotel that ends up in ruin right it's sort of not what it was originally um but there's still a lore around it there's still a story um and there's sort of a tragedy in that also um i think hotels are interesting i like to hang out in the in the hotel bars because it's a place where people kind of come and go it's, it's a little bit like an airport except there's no planes taking off in a weird way um so i i think that that movie in particular captures that vibe a lot of different people from different backgrounds seeking connection yeah uh in the in my conversation with dwyer we talked about uncovering the real new york finding it out i've done a number of shows about digging into places we did one on the hidden history of gay washington also did one with another novelist aggie bloom thompson who has a new book out a new novel all the dirty secrets i'm guessing um liska that one of the problems with writing about Los Angeles is nothing's hidden. Hmm. I mean, it's so everything in Los Angeles is worn, displayed, shown off mm -hmm. on the surface. Mm -hmm. So to to write about it requires a different kind of skill than a kind of literary uh, digging, uncovering. Mm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. I do think though that the Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say the thing with Los Angeles is that it's constantly remaking itself. So the Los Angeles that I just came from um when the book came out and I did the book tour is different than the Los Angeles I left 10 months ago. Um it's just always changing. So there are sort of ghosts there I think that you can kind of 
unearth a little bit or, you know, play with. Even ghosts in Los Angeles, who are your literary heroes when it comes to, or heroines when it comes to Los Angeles? I mentioned Joan Didion. I'm not sure how Mm. much she actually wrote about Los Angeles. She wrote extensively about California. Mm, Yeah, she's definitely one of them. I do also enjoy Eve Babbitt's. I think she's, her early stuff in particular, I think, Again, that's one of those, both Didion and Babbitt's, they captured their Los Angeles in particular really well. Um, and But I think that Los Angeles is kind of already gone. That's the beauty of that city is that it's, there's as many versions of that city as there are cur- people currently thinking about it. It's, it's different for everybody. Yeah, and Didion, of course, wrote magnificently about Sacramento, or at least the Sacramento mm. she, she grew up in. I'm talking to you from San Francisco. Typical San Francisco people, I think, look, as you know, look down on Los Angeles and vice versa. But I actually think that Los Angeles is a much more interesting place than San Francisco, uh, mm. much more culturally diverse and, and, and richer. Um, how do you think of contemporary L.A. in, in terms of its vitality? It's, um, it's living through a pretty good moment, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. I, I, I do think it is. There's all kinds of areas that are being revitalized also, which is both good and bad. Gentrification has its ups, but also a lot of downs as well. Um, so it is it is definitely having a moment, I think. But, you know, with climate change, it's making living there a, a lot more difficult. Um, I was there and it was humid heat. And when I grew up there, it was never hot and wet there. It was always hot and dry. So, you know, there's a lot of poor areas that don't have air conditioning and that makes living in those areas. Very it comes back, I just did a, uh, a show with an, a very different kind of conversation uh, with Stephen Thrasher, a mm. writer who's just written a book called The Viral Underclass. Uh, I assume that the experience of COVID, particularly in Los Angeles, was entirely different mm. depending on which social class you were dealing with. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there, downtown LA has such a huge homeless problem. Actually, the entire city does too. So there's, you know, when COVID broke out, there's already different kinds of diseases that had swept through those areas that never reached the rest of the city. Your One of your previous books was Catalina, which mm-hmm. is a part Californian story. Do you feel, I know you live in Berlin now, do you feel that to write well about California, you need to leave? or you needed to leave and that you, you have a better sense and ability to write and see it when you're in Europe? That's a very interesting question because I, I think I think you're right in some ways I, I did, especially for this last book. Um, when I started it, you know, it was before COVID. And when I was finishing it, it was February 2020 when I stayed at the hotel and I stayed there just to sort of see what I had gotten right and what I had gotten wrong. And soon after that, the whole city went into lockdown. And then that summer, there was the Black Lives Matter movement. And the, again, the city was in lockdown for that. Um, and then National Guard had been called in. And it felt so real. And I had already written a book that had civil unrest and wildfires in it that I felt that I had to leave in order to finish it to get perspective. Um, so I did. And what about you know, you're in Europe, the view of the United States in Europe? Is it as apocalyptic, as dark as your novel? <laughs> no, everyone, as soon as I moved to Berlin, everyone was like, well, why did you leave Los Angeles? I would, I would kill to live there. <laughs> so I think it's always grass is greener, you know. And um, what's, um, is that true, though? I mean, do you think that 
In some ways, now that I live in Europe, there are a lot of things about not just the West Coast, but America in general that I appreciate. There, our infrastructure here, um, I mean, right now, Europe is also having a, a tremendous you know, heat wave and they don't have the same kind of, they don't even have window AC units. They, a lot of places in Berlin don't have screens on the windows and now they have these influx of wasps that descend in the summer um, and we have to put up netting and stuff like that. So there's just different issues, I think. I have to say, having spent a lot of time in Europe, particularly in expensive hotels, the Europeans do fancy hotels better than Americans. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Why do you think that is? Well, they one, I think they've been doing it longer um, and they're dealing with a certain type of wealth, which is um, not just inherited. We have more and more inherited wealth now in America, but they have inherited titles, right? They have um, something that's I think they, you know, has been bequeathed to them by God. So it's a, it's not just wealth that they're dealing with. It's an entire, um, I don't know, not just a lifestyle. It's something, it's something entirely different. And we don't really have the same here, except for, I guess it's the Lebutants, right? Influencers and stuff like that. Um, the Kardashians, you know, that, that kind of thing. It might be the closest to what they have, which is, you know, countesses and lords mm. and princes, sultans, right? Liska, do you think the great contradiction and the great tragedy of American life, contemporary American life, is the contradiction you just talked about, which is America was born as a democracy against aristocracy, against the European class system. And of course, today, given the remarkable amounts of economic and other forms of inequality, America is one of the most extreme aristocratic systems ever born in the history of the world. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This that's where my anger came from actually. Was wit witnessing that and you know, I think there's always been a, a problem with wealth disparity, but it's become something else now when you have people that can take a jet from Camarillo to Van Nuys uh and their sort of carbon footprint is something that it doesn't matter if I live off the land for the rest of my life, I can't undo the damage that that one, you know, jet trip did. Uh, and so that's that kind of, I don't know, disparity, I think that we're, we're seeing more and more of. And I'm assuming that the pink hotel is the perfect way to describe this new aristocracy. Oh yes. That's, that was my, my idea actually was, well, how can I, it was very cathartic to write. I'll tell you that much. Um, I had a lot of fun, uh, mining my own experiences, having worked in country clubs and different sort of, uh, venues, service. You know, yeah, do you think American wealthy Americans treat people treat quote unquote staff worse than wealthy Europeans? Given that the the sort of the the absence of a formal class aristocratic system mm -hmm. in America versus Europe, you know, I don't know. I would have said yes originally before I stayed at the hotel um, because that was my my thinking, my assumption. But when I stayed there, I talked to the staff and one of the things they told me, which stuck with me forever, actually it's a line in the book, is is that the rich are a world unto themselves. And that it I think it's only the rest of the world that likes to that thinks in terms of these boundaries, these regions, but the wealthy is a global elite. It's it's not just American elite, it's not just European elite, it's a global, you know, phenomenon, I guess. Lisa, let's uh, Lisa, let's end with uh, a little bit more about the novel. I don't want to give 
give away the story too much. That's always the challenge with conversations with novelists. But it is a novel and people will want to read it. What would you say about the book to encourage people to read it without giving its story away? So perhaps you might give a, a short introduction to the, to the narrative. A short get introduction people, to the get narrative. Get people hooked. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I would say that the book is about uh, newlyweds that are invited to stay at the Pink Hotel by the guest services director and his wife after meeting them in um, Boonville, California, which is a real place. Some people thought that I made that up, but that's a real place in California. Yes, in northern, I've been through it in northern California. <laughs> it's lovely. It's a lovely it's place. It's on the way to the Sierras, isn't it? Yes, it's gorgeous. Um, so they, uh, they are invited to the hotel, and Keith um, is sort of there on the pretense of possibly getting a job there. So he's partially being interviewed, I think, during the week-long trip. Um, and while they're there, uh, wildfires break out in the city. Civil unrest um, sort of bubbles to the surface. And the hotel becomes uh, a sort of pressure cooker for all the guests that are stuck there and all the um, staff that are stuck there with them. And all sorts of chaos. <laughs> mm, ensues, and yes, uh, yes. Ensues. Happy yeah. ending, Lisa, or you're not going to give that one away? <laughs> I think it's, I think there's a, a this is my most hopeful and happy of endings I've written. Which isn't saying book. much, Why given your other <laughs> Possibly, yes. But I do think there's a glimmer of hope at the end, which is what I really wanted. Otherwise, what else? Is it going to be a movie? That should be. Maybe a follow-up to uh, <laughs> Hotel, the Grand Budapest Hotel, the American yes. version. Maybe Wes yes. Anderson can make it. I was just going to say, shout out to Wes Anderson. <laughs> Well, Wes, if you're listening, if you've got nothing else to do, you need a new project, make uh, Liska's lovely new, Liska Jacobs' lovely new novel, The Pink Hotel, into a, another movie. We are all waiting for it. I'm sure other people will do the same, Liska. Congratulations on the book. Uh, what, what else would you suggest people read in these apocalyptic times? Maybe mm. we can go and stay in the uh, Beverly Hills <laughs> yes if you can afford it then you know how much is that night by the way oh my gosh the bungalows are i mean upwards to twenty thousand dollars a night depending on the season um i i had an, a nice artistic discount is what they gave me so i was in a suite did they know you were researching a book i'm surprised they let you i sit. did tell them i did tell them yes they they were very nice about it i haven't sent them the book yet so we'll see if they still want to be my well, friend. I hope you're going to do some sort of launch there, maybe a, a reading or something. <laughs> oh, that would be great. I would love that. We'll see maybe when I come back. Um, but books that you, you to read. Um, I just read Laura Worrell's book, um, Sweet, what is it? Sweet Soft Plenty Rhythm. Um, I don't know if that's on your radar yet. I think that's coming out in September. That's going to be a fantastic novel. Um, and then uh, The Paper Palace by Miranda Cowley Heller. That's another really good one. I think they have a nice sultry feel to them, um, but still, you know, some serious themes, but, uh, you know, also very just gorgeously written. And that's when it comes down to it, I'm all about the written word, I think, on the page. I love a, I love a clean, sexy sentence.